Luke 1, 26 to 38. <clears throat> In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel, angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of God. You don't need much introduction because you just saw Jackie on the uh, prayer guide. Please come in. But I did want to give a brief word of introduction to give you a, a little bit of her background. Um, this is not a token. It's Mother's Day, so we should have a mother preach event. Um, Jackie's theologically trained, has an has a MDiv from Gordon-Conwell, and is in, served in vocational ministry for, gee, as long as I've been here, longer than I've been here, 15 years maybe? Longer than 15 years. So anyway, I have invited her previously to preach, and she's always declined. So this is not a token invitation. It may be a token acceptance, but anyway, we're delighted to have her this morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Um, recently, a good friend of mine reminded me that the word mother can be a loaded word. And um, I never thought about that because most of the people I know <clears throat> have a mother and a father. And they had a good childhood and normal childhood and so forth. But not everybody has that kind of experience. So the word mother can be very heavy. This innocuous word can evoke feelings of sadness, grief, regret, or joy, or comfort, or peace, or love. It's just a loaded word. And for some people, um, it's hard to celebrate Mother's Day. Um, or maybe sometimes when we think about mothers on Mother's Day, we think about the mom that we never had the mom that we wish we had, or we think about our own job as a mother. Am I doing a good job as a mom? How do I know that I'm a good mom? And how do we be good moms? What does the Bible say about being a good mom and so forth? Because motherhood is 
a challenging job. And as you and I know, for those that are moms out there and fathers too, you know, you don't get the report card that says at the end of the month that your child did this and this and this and you were great. Um, even after 14 years of doing the baby wise with Jeremy, I'm still wondering if that was the right decision. Do you guys know the baby wise parenting method? Oh my gosh, that means I'm old. <laughs> it's just, um, I'll tell you briefly what baby wise is. Like, for one, it's like the system you put your baby through. The first hour you're supposed to feed the baby, the second hour you play with the baby, the third hour you let the baby sleep and you start the cycle and it's very, very strict. So there were times when poor, one of my kids would just cry for hours. But according to this method, it was good for the kid. And, um, you know, we never know as moms what we're doing now after 10, 20 years or 30 years down the road if that was a good decision. And this requires tremendous confidence and faith in the Lord who is our ultimate helper in our journey of being a mom. Well, moms are very powerful creatures. They've touched all of our lives. We love to love them. We love to praise them. We love to blame them. And we love to complain of them. But we can't say that none of us have not been touched by our mothers, whether good or bad. Mothers are very powerful creatures, and they have touched all of our lives. Mothers like to talk about their children, Mothers like to hang out with other moms, get advice from each other, how to deal with the crisis that's going on at home. Mothers like to read on parenting. And I think there's no mother here that would say, I wish I can be the best mom I can be. And so always improving, wanting to learn and grow how to be a good mom to our kids. But today, as we're gathered here in this sanctuary as believers in Christ, we're not only here as mothers, as our neighbors are. We are really different kind of mothers, aren't we? We have different conversations at home. We have different ideas. We have different values. We have different priorities. So the conversation I'm having at my house is very different from a non-Christian family. When, when one of them comes home and they're giving Bible lessons at the back of the bus, you know, I'm thinking, what are, what are their moms thinking? <laughs> Oh, my, this, this friend came with the Lego Bible, and I got a Bible lesson on Matthew and so forth. The conversations, the heart longings, and all that we as Christian mothers carry is very different and should be very different from the other mom next door. Why? Because we belong to God's kingdom, and our purpose here on earth is very different from those that are not walking with God. So we have different values, we have different conversations, and hopefully we have different goals and different dreams for our kids because we belong to God, and he is the one that helps us with those guidelines and what we should wish for our kids. Motherhood is also a very, as you know, very challenging and very lonely journey. It can also be scary and very faith-stretching. 2,000 years ago, about 2,000 years ago, a young woman also began this same journey of motherhood. <clears throat> it began with a visitation by an angel. People have been visited by angels in the past, but this was going to be a different kind of a visitation. God was about to break into history, and he was going to live with people. 
The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, who stands in the presence of God, appears before Mary with some news, and this encounter would change the course of history, and it would also change Mary's life too. Gabriel proceeds to tell her that she will conceive a child and give birth to a son. And Luke tells us, You are going to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will have no end. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read these special invitations, special encounters with God and his angels, I often think, being the self-centered person that I am, what's so special about this person? that they should receive a visitation from Gabriel, you know? Why can I receive a visitation from Gabriel? Um, uh, do you guys think like that? Or is it just me? Okay, it's just me. Well, I think that way, because being very self-centered. And, um, you know, there was really nothing special about Mary. That's the thing. She was a young teenager, the age of my daughter. She was very simple-minded. She wasn't wealthy, She was very simple. She was humble. Obviously, she had a relationship with God. She had the fear of God in her heart. But there was one thing that really stands out. She was very highly favored, and God was with her. Mary was highly favored, and God was with her. When is the last time we said of ourselves, I am favored by God, and God is with me? And actually, I've been going around and asking people that. I've been asking people, do you feel favored by God? And do you feel God is with you? And um, I was very happy to learn that this within this week, two people said, yes, I do feel favored. And I do feel that God is with me. One person is a minister, and she feels that everything is going smoothly. Life is going well, and God is opening doors for her with all these ministries. So she felt like, yes, God is with me. I'm favored. Another person, an alcoholic, sober for years, just reconnected with her children and just beginning to piece her life together, was able to say, I feel the favor of God in my life, and I know God is with me. When is the last time you said of yourself, I am favored and God is with me? Mary wants to know, how is this going to happen? I've never been with a man before. And the angel tells her that God is going to do this, for no word from God will ever fail. And this blows me This just blows me over every time. Her response, her response. What is her response? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Is this a very impulsive response? Um, What kind of a girl would answer like this? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm thinking it must have taken her years and years and years of walking with God, being intimate with God, knowing God, for her to be ready 
that when a visitation as such comes, she can respond by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your will, may your word to me be fulfilled. I don't think Mary really understood what she was saying yes to, or what she was saying yes to in terms of how her life was going to be played out. It might have been the dream of every Jewish girl to be the mother of the Messiah, but in reality, in the everyday living and doing all the chores of life, that Mary really foresee all that was waiting for her in the days to come. Mary didn't have the latest copy of What to Expect When You're Expecting. By the way, do you guys still read this book? Do you? Is it, like, outdated? I don't know. She didn't have the technology to whip out her iPhone and look at child development and how the baby is growing. She didn't have any resources or trainings um, on how to be a mom. And I think that's how we think at times when God comes to us with an invitation to do something or one of our sisters or brothers um, gives us an opportunity. We spent the next five years wondering, was that really an angel? How can I discern that was an angel? We wonder about all the things we have to do, all the things that we're going to leave behind, all the things that is going to be interrupted if I say yes to this. Why? Because we're, so, we're, we're really full of it. We're really full of ourselves. You know, I know I am. If, if, if that had happened to me, I would just be like, well... I, I think I would just give a list, a whole list of why I can't do it, why I don't want to do it. And all that fear would come. But Mary's response is the very simple, childlike trust that she had. She had nothing to place her confidence in, except the only thing that she can place her confidence in, which is her God. In her quick willingness to say yes to her God, she was saying yes to that path. And she began a terribly lonely journey. I'm sure she was misunderstood, shunned, judged. And the loneliness of not being able to share that with anyone. And I know us women, when something happens, the first thing we like to do is get on the phone and call our best friends and say, Hey, I, I, I talk to my one of my best friends almost every other day and... Almost every other time when I get off the phone, my kids always say, you know what, you guys talk about nothing. (laughs) And I said, yes, that's true. And most of the time, we're on the phone eating and talking. So we can't really hear what we're saying. But women love to connect with other women. And we get on the phone, we just blab, 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 and just share our heart. But Mary couldn't do that with anybody except with Elizabeth. So she leaves her village and she goes spend some time with her. But she had to return, and you can imagine what kind of life was waiting for her as she started to grow and become uh, more apparent in her pregnancy. Um, The relationships that she had with friends and the community, that all had to change. Sometimes in the midst of something so wonderful, in the midst of something that God is doing in us and in our lives, we can experience deep, deep loneliness. And it has nothing to do with the fact that there's hundreds of people around us or that you have many friends or that you have so many people following you on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. But the fact that you are the only one 
experiencing that unique experience, and that can cause great loneliness. And I'm convinced in order to survive this and get over this and, and live with loneliness right by our side requires tremendous faith in the Lord. And this is really what I believe Mary had, a tremendous, incredible faith. And um, Leanne Payne, this author who writes a lot about healing, she's often heard telling God, why do you treat your friends like that? It's no wonder you have such few friends. Mary has now entered the in-between places. And I don't know if you recall um, a sermon that Pastor David preached a while ago, and he talked about this in-between places. According to Pastor David, and I'm going to quote him, this term was actually coined by some um, sociologist who described that these places are neither our world or another world. In-between places are those where everyone is both comfortable and uncomfortable to some extent where everyone is forced to adapt by a few degrees. In-between places are not places such as small groups or fellowship groups where people come regularly and come to know each other. They are places like our workplaces where we have some close friends and not-so-close relationships. Our neighborhoods, the restaurants we go to, the gym we go to work out, these are called in-between places. These in-between places, I believe, these uncomfortable places in our lives, is the greatest breeding ground for faith to grow. Places where we can't rely on our past experience, our old encounters with God, proven data, human charm and comfort. Sometimes we still go back to those stories. When God touched me when I was in high school, dot, 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 dot. When I was in college, God said this to me, da, 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 da. Well, what about yesterday or last week or even this year? How has God spoken to us? How has God challenged us? We can't rely on these old encounters and old experiences and our own reasoning. We can't continuously rely on those things. These places, and I find them so priceless, these in-between places are the places where where we can place our confidence in the only thing that we can't write on our resume. We can say, I place my confidence in my identity in the Lord, that I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. Where are the in-between places in our lives? Are we taking advantage of these breeding grounds of faith, or are we too quick to run undercover? I think moms are always in these in-between places. Um, And sometimes these my in-between place might not be your in-between place. For me, the in-between places are places like the playground, or swim meets, or soccer field. I, I don't like going to those because it's all about, you know, the small talk, and I really dread going to those because, you know, I want to talk about, I want to go deep into the ocean, you know. But sometimes I understand you have to start from the shallow end and, and swim your way in. But I like to go deep. And sometimes these, um, you know, hi, how are you, what do you do? It really is, for me, as an introvert, very intimidating. And um, But these in-between places, I know 
that these are exactly where God wants me to be, to live out my faith and grow in him. I know many of us are wanting to grow in our faith and to know God and to follow God earnestly. And we, we often wonder with, um, you know, how can we do that, you know? Can you imagine if that's our desire, if that's our desire to grow in God and to know God and to be a witness for God, can you imagine how much more the Lord wants that for us? We want to grow in God. We want to connect with God. We want to live a different kind of life as Christians. How much more is God wanting that for us? All the desires that we have for God, love, commitment, service, sacrifice, obedience, I see them only as shadows of what God wants for us. And you know what I mean. When we go to the prayer meetings, when we come together and and join our hearts to pray, you can sense God's presence just wanting to, waiting for us to to be with him, to join together. And he wants to pray through us and be with us. God's desire for us is so much stronger and so much greater than the shadows of our desires of what we want in our Christian walk with God. As a missionary in China, um, some of you know we were missionaries for about nine years in, in Asia. As a missionary, I was often weaving in and out of these in-between places. There were so many groups and so many circles, so many places where you had to change roles and hats, and nobody was fully comfortable, nobody was fully uncomfortable. It was all a mix of in-between places. And often missionaries took refuge by going to the international church, because there, as soon as you walked in, it seemed like you knew who you were. You, you show your um, your passport, so you're an American. And then you go into this air-conditioned auditorium that's wonderfully organized and cushiony, and it just reminds you of, of home. And you sit down, you hear a message in fluent English, and you don't have to try to wonder, oh, what does this word mean in Chinese? It's all in English. It's all there for you. And you sit, and you, you, you experience God, and then you can actually leave without talking to anybody. And when the elders of the international church started understanding that this was going on, they got together in a group, and they had a retreat, and they said, you know what? Is this church going to be a cruise ship or a battleship? Is this, is this a place where we're all going to come and just say, la-di-da-di-da? Or is this a place where we're going to get on and say, let's move forward and let's do something? So slowly, they started to change this cruise ship into a battleship. They decided that they're going to go and reach out. I mean, for those that couldn't speak Chinese, reach out to the foreigners. And then they started to have prayer meetings, And when the prayer meeting sites were not approved by the government, they would just get on the buses, rent buses. I think this is just so ingenious. And we would just get on buses, and the buses would just go around Beijing, all these buses, all, sorry, praying for Beijing and praying for China. And this battleship, this cruise ship, slowly started to turn into a battleship. Mary lived a life of change and uncertainty. Even though we don't know too much about her life and we don't know exactly how Jesus' childhood and teenage years, we don't, we don't know too much of that. But the beginning years, we know that Mary went through a lot. 
It's very easy for us to be calm about it and almost look at her life as if, um, you know, Mary, calm down because after all, you're carrying Jesus and, you know, God's got your back. So everything's going to be okay. And you know what, Mary? If you read the book of Matthew, if you read the book of Luke, you'll see that everything is going to be fine. The angel is going to talk to Joseph. He's going to be convinced and everything is going to be cool. You're going to go to Bethlehem. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you're going to give birth. It's going to be stinky, smelly. There's going to be nothing glamorous about the birth of your son. But it's going to be okay. You're not going to get an infection. Nothing's going to happen. You're going to be fine, Mary. And then you know what, Mary? If you wait a few days, Simeon and Anna are going to come and meet you at the temple, and they're going to say awesome things, and it's going to encourage you, Mary. It's going to be cool, Mary. When someone, Herod the Great, is going to seek out, trying to kill Jesus, don't worry, because you're going to escape and you're going to be fine. You're going to be living among strangers and starting all over again. You're going to be a refugee. You're going to be a displaced person. But you know what, Mary? You're going to be fine. And then you know what? You're going to move again. You're going to be fine, Mary. It's very easy for us to not live in her reality because we know how it ends. We know, we know that it's going to be fine. But Mary didn't have that. She had to live every day with change and uncertainty. I think her life was very stressful. <laughs> I think she was, she lived an incredibly, incredibly stressful, uncertain life. And when I think about that, um, when I think about the days when I get, when I have very stressful days and um, intense days, um, you know, you start to wonder, you know, is this God's plan for my life? Is this God's will for my life? And um, I'm convinced that, yes, it is. And the reason why, at first, it doesn't feel right is because I bought into the mentality that God's will for me equates comfort and peace and easy living. I've somehow bought into that mentality that the most important thing in my children's life is for them to go to MIT or Harvard. And it was just... <laughs> we love you, Dick. <laughs> and it was just... Um, and, you know, because we're missionaries, we're not, we're, we're, not really, we're not really seeped here, so we were able to see that. But slowly as the months... You know, we've been here about two and a half years, three years. Slowly as the months started to um, go by, we were also getting into that mode that we got to move and we got to get the kids and we got to we got to do all these things to live the perfect Christian life. And you know, we had to uh, we were really convicted one of the um joint services when one of the ministers preached and he really he's not like me. He spoke very softly and he was very gentle and he said, "We have to really um challenge the our comfort zones um and how we live and and what we do with our kids and all of that." And um that Sunday, I was, I was fighting back the tears. I was, I really wanted to burst out of there and just repent because I had bought into the lie that, um, in order to live a Christian life in America, I had to follow a certain kind of package. And I had to really repent that because I don't think this is God's will 
I don't think so. And I think there, I really believe that there are idols set in our lives that have really, um, we have aligned our Christian thinking into these ways. And um, one of the ways um, to see that is when you remove yourself from a, a particular place. Then you can see, but it's very hard to see when you're in it. It's like that, it's like that old story about the frog that's, that was put into this, hot, this, um, this um, lukewarm water. You know, the frog doesn't know that the, the, the thing is on, the temperature is on, and slowly the frog is being cooked because he can't feel it. I mean, if the frog was to jump into this hot boiling water, of course he's going to be like, ah, get me out of here. But slowly, slowly we get into this, we buy into um, the cares and the concerns of the world. And we really have to be careful. We really have to watch out um, what is leading our thoughts, what is leading our values, what is leading our passions, what is leading our desires. And um, I wonder if, I'm not God, but I wonder if, you know, why Mary? Mary was free. Mary was free from all of this. She was free. You know, sometimes when you don't have anything, it's easier. You're freer to give yourself to the Lord. But when you have a lot, when you have a lot of things, when you have a lot of stuff, when you have a lot of qualifications, it's, it is hard, I understand, it's very hard to give that to the Lord. But when you have nothing, you are free to give freely to the Lord of everything. I think one of the greatest acts of faith that Mary showed in all her life, not just throughout the time when she was visited by the angel and she said, yes, I'm the Lord's servant, when she was mothering Jesus and, and doing all these things that we read about in the Bible, the thing that strikes me as the most beautiful and um, most amazing act of faith was how Mary was able to stay with Jesus at the crucifixion. And yes, maybe it was easier for her because she was the mother and maybe because she was a woman, but how she was able to just be present throughout the horror and the pain of the crucifixion. Fear, terror, and a sense of powerless did not keep her away from approaching the cross. Every mother in this room would agree with me that the worst thing you can possibly watch is your kids suffer. I mean, Benjamin just recently... um, Fractured his little little pinky area here, and you know, you know, we don't want to see that. We want to protect our kids. We want to we want to take the pain for our kids. We want to shield them from harm. We want to we want to we want our kids to not go through those kind of things. But Mary, how did she stay at the cross? How was she able to watch this? What incredible faith Mary had. This was greater than Mary's life. This was greater than Mary's pain. This was greater than Mary. And all she can do at the cross was hold that heart of surrender to God while the sword 
that Simeon talked about was piercing her soul, well, that's all she can do is offer her heart of surrender. Jesus had expressed that same attitude of surrender earlier when he said, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not I as I will, but as you will. I wonder if he had... I wonder if he had learned that from Mary. I wonder. You know, Mary was a human, and Jesus was a human. And as, as son and mom, I'm sure there's a lot of things that Jesus picked up from Mary just by being in relationship to her and spending those years with Mary. And with that attitude, that attitude of surrender, Jesus went to the cross. And with that same attitude... Mary stayed at the cross. As you know, hearing um, the news, um, you know, I've been really aching for the moms, not, not only the moms of uh, Bangladesh, they lost their kids, but, you know, the moms of the captured women, you know, you, your heart just goes out to that. And... Um, I'm convinced that Mary's intimacy with the Lord and how she loved God and she was willing to stay with God, I think that opened her to the willingness to also see the suffering, the suffering of God. And um, I know that when I am spending time with God and asking, the, asking God, what is, Lord, what is your heart for the world? What is your heart for our church, our community? It always goes back to the people that are suffering, you know? It always goes back to those that don't have much as we do. We can't, we can't love God and not see that. We can't love God. We can't say, I love you, Lord, and not look at the cross. We can't say, I love you, Lord, and turn away from suffering. A willingness to be in the presence of suffering is a place where human depravity is at its worst. And the call of redemption is the loudest. We don't have to look too far away to find suffering. You know, there's a lot of people, um, I know that on Sundays we, we all, um, it's hard to see that, but there's a lot of people in this room suffering. There's a lot of people in the Chinese side suffering. And then you expand that to your workplace, your community, and the nation. You know, something is really wrong with our nation, <laughs> as you know. And then you go beyond that. You go beyond those walls. You see the people suffering and people like, in places like Bangladesh. You think of the moms, all the moms in North Korea who are just feeding their children um, trees and belts and barks. And um, they're suffering everywhere. And as Christians and as mothers, um, you know, we, we can't turn our backs on those things. We have to look at them head on. And say, yes, Lord, I am the Lord's servant. I am willing. I am willing to be used by you. Where is God inviting you to grow in faith today? Is it an area of surrender? Is there anything in your life that you have not surrendered fully to the Lord? Maybe it's in a place, in one of these in-between spaces, where God is nudging you to be a witness, to be faithful, to have courage and boldness in these in-between spaces.
Or maybe God is just asking you to stay with him in the midst of suffering. Maybe you're walking with someone who's suffering right now. Or maybe God is inviting you to a ministry in the area of suffering. Where is God inviting you to? Let's pray together.